And the future of fashion is people watching it from the safety of their home, going on their computer and ordering that garment. That's the future of fashion week. That's the future of fashion. Welcome to Fashion Cast, the fashion industry's premier podcast where we explore all things fashion, from designers and the latest styles to sustainability and breaking fashion news, we keep you informed. Now, enjoy the show with your hosts, Michael Gloucester and me, Christine Tuktuk. On today's episode, we have Rocco Leo Galliotti. Rocco is the founder and CEO of the Fashion News Lifestyle Network. He was the executive producer and director of Inside Amato, a fashion documentary that won three awards, including two Best Documentary Awards. He's also a past winner of the Taste Awards Viewer's Choice Award for Best Fashion and Design, Web Program, and Video. Outside the world of fashion, Rocco has long been involved in the deaf community as a CODA, child of a deaf adult, and serves as the vice president for the nonprofit Miss and Mr. Deaf International. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the fashion industry. Wow, that's a very long story, but I'll I'll summarize it. Uh, (laughs) Essentially, (laughs) I was involved very heavily in martial arts growing up because I wanted to learn how to defend myself because I was essentially picked on and bullied as a young child. My nickname, unfortunately, was Fat Boy, believe it or not. So my parents enrolled me into the self-defense class, and every day after school, I would go there. Well, what ended up happening is I got taller, I slimmed down. Uh, My brother was the straight-A football student playing football, so he was already involved in the modeling world. And uh, my mom would tell me all the time, hey, you know, go with him to this open casting call, go with him to this casting call. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm going to be a fighter. I'm going to be a boxer. I'm going to be a a Taekwondo champion, whatever. Well, one of the days I finally caved in and I went with my brother to this hair casting and they booked me. And I was a hair model for an event where a woman said, you have got to meet my photographer friend, Andy Devine. He would absolutely love you. So I went to Miami Beach, South Beach. I met this photographer. I guess he loved me. He shot me and said, go to the agencies and show them these pictures. I got a contract. I got shipped off to Milan at a very young age. And that's where everything started was I was uh, modeling in Milan, Italy. And uh, that ended up, you know, I, I got agencies in New York and in Paris and you know globally all over the modeling transitioned into photography the photography transitioned into producing and directing the producing and directing transitioned into making a documentary the documentary then opened up some doors to uh, to create a network which is FNO network wow that is an amazing story Great story, yeah. And it you make it sound so linear, but it I don't <laughs> <laughs> there were lots of ups and downs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how long were you a model? Yeah, how long did you live in Milan? I was in Milan for approximately five years. Wow. Yeah. For about, I was in Milan for about five years, but there were other cities that I traveled to. But when you're let's say when you're an international model and you get placed with different agencies, they do things called direct booking. So you know, your home base or what, you know, your mother agency, uh, mine at the time was in Milan. Uh, that was my base. And then I would be 
booked to go to Germany. I would be booked to go to different places and then always come back to Milan. And that's where everything really started. I never considered myself at that point in my life as some type of fashion expert. I just considered myself as a, you know, a young kid interested in this new exciting world. But then it, you know, it developed, you know, being saturated in that environment, you know, interests started to grow and you know, I feel like I was educated hands-on within the industry. So you can thank your mother for kind of pestering you to become a model. (laughs) (laughs) She's responsible for your entire career, dude. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. (laughs) Wow. But both of my parents are huge inspirations to me. My mother, my mother's deaf in in Amakota, which stands for child of deaf adult. And uh, she was the first deaf woman to graduate from UCF. She got a master's from NYU. Wow. And, you know, she's been praised and honored for accomplishing so many things within the deaf community. And uh, she founded MMDI, which is Miss and Mr. Deaf International. And then my father, you know, he came over from Italy. He met my mom. They met on a cruise ship and fell in love and got married, started a family. But my father came to the United States with nothing and ended up you know, with my mom owning a pizza place and building his life and bringing his siblings over. So I feel like I come from a family of doers and never give up and persevering for that American dream. So it's, it's quite interesting that I went to Europe. You know, I always say I was born in the United States, but I grew up in Milan, Italy, because, oh my gosh, I remember like... <laughs> I did not even know how to make pasta when I was there. You know, I, I went there at 17 years old. And um, I remember the, in, in Italy at that time, and now it's much less, but they used to be like the doorman. There was in Milan, which is, uh, I don't know, let's say something like New York City, but for Italy, it's the fashion capital in Italy. They have door women or doormen, and they control who goes in and out. Right. So I remember the door woman, like, I think they call it portneri, something like that. She, she actually came into my apartment and showed me how to make pasta so I could feed myself. Yeah. That's too funny. That's so funny. Cause it's pretty hard to make pasta. Come on, Rocco. From scratch. Yeah. Well, I guess when you're 17, yeah. You know, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, you, here, you. <laughs> I literally had no fear. It, it was like I jumped into the pool with my eyes closed and I had no idea what I was getting involved in. And I just threw myself out there. Mm. But now you're probably the best pasta cook in LA. You know what? I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> so what do you consider yourself now? Are you, I mean, other than an executive and a founder of a network, are you more of a journalist? Are you still really a fashion creative? Are you a mix? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what, where you're at in terms of your career. As a creative, as a director, as a producer, you know, I oversee the creation of content, of all the content that comes on the network. I'm very hands-on. I manage different teams that are doing different things with FNL Network. I manage different people uh, that work with me in different capacities. I enjoy being creative. I enjoy and I love. My passion is having a concept, executing the concept, and then having that concept be successful, of course. And then even better, 
if my peers appreciate and the ultimate ultimate reward is winning some type of award for content creation or a project that I've been on. That just reaffirms the entire concept and whether it's a movie or a TV show uh, that we started from scratch because everything with me starts with a blank piece of paper and a pen. And I'm like, okay, I have an idea. And then I sketch it out, talk about it, brainstorm about it. Then there's a certain process that I go through with my team then to execute it. And of course, it's a lot more lengthy and longer uh, to do all this than just you know what I'm explaining in a few seconds. You'd probably be just as successful in any industry based on what you just said. I mean, you could probably just map over this creative process. I mean, obviously, I think it makes more sense to be either in the fashion industry where there's so many creatives and so many opportunities, you know, to be creative. But it sounds to me like <laughs> you could do this just about anywhere. The question is, would anybody let you? I mean, corporate America is not real creative, obviously, but. Thank you. Thank you. Well, about the fashion world, you know, I've spent my entire life in this fashion world. You know, it's, it's all that I know. And I've traveled the world with it. I have these relationships and partnerships globally. And I feel, I feel humbled and honored that I'm respected by the industry in so many different places. But this wasn't something that was given to me easy. This was something that I've had to go into each market and start from scratch. You know, I remember when we expanded from New York to Paris and the first time we were in Paris, we were like the new kids in the block. But after several years, they're like, oh, okay, now we know who you are. So I feel like I've had to do that in so many different uh, cities around the world to establish and earn that respect. And then there's also, you know, a different level and a different type of business ethic right. and business way. Well, let's say doing business in the fashion industry in Dubai or business in the fashion industry in Paris or LA or New York or Miami. It's just so different. So you have to apply, I don't want to say certain skill sets to each individual market, but in a way there is business etiquette within that sector in those different markets. Right. And there's cultural etiquette in these different countries, of course. <laughs> yeah. You've had some significant fashion mentors along the way, including Carson Kressley and RuPaul. How were they instrumental in your success? I met Carson Kressley a very long time ago, back in Brian Park days, you know, when, when uh, Fern Malice was doing fashion with Brian Park. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed him and we just kind of hit it off and, and we started hanging out. These individuals, they're older. I guess they saw a fire in me or they saw something in me and they would inspire me and, and, and sit down and chat with me and, you know, Rocco, what do you think about this and this and this and kind of challenge me in a way. And I think even more so, he, you know, he's a dear friend and he's always pushed me and inspired me to do more, you know, and I, and I appreciate him for that. With Rue, RuPaul, you know, the first time I met him, it was in Beverly Hills. We were at a birthday party for a very famous singer. <laughs> but I, I walked up to him and I said, you know, what inspired me the most is when you got on stage in New York 
and you were talking to a group of people and you started crying and you said, I hope I can make it big. No, no. I, what did he say? He said something like, I wish my mom could see me now. Oh. Because Rue struggled, let's say, I, I don't want to say starving artist, but he struggled for a long time before he made it. And he, you know, he became recognized with his famous song, you know, you better work. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember that. So I, I walked up to him and I said, I admired what you said and that's motivating me a lot. My mother's still alive and I want her to see me make it as well, you know. And then we exchanged numbers and you know, we became super close and spent a lot of time together. And with Rue, he literally would get into my mind, like we'd sit down and talk and he would dissect everything I would say, break it apart and then throw it back at me. So I'm trying to think of the right words to use, but when I told him the idea of FNL Network, he had never heard of such a thing. You know, this was before streaming was a really big thing. And I guess you can just say that they both helped lay the foundation so were they were they doing the in terms of the mentoring? Was it were they opening doors? Were they just pushing back on your ideas? Were they teaching? Is there some internal collaboration, or is it all of the above? So uh, there were no door openings, none. Neither of them. I don't want to sound you know harsh or anything, but the, the fact of the matter is, that, no, there, there were no introductions to powerful people to help me with anything. It was more of brainstorming and pushing me and trying to feed what they saw in me to allow me to do it myself. If someone's going to appreciate something more, if they have to work for it, then it's just given to them. And, you know, even with Rue, he was in a position, really, I guess all three of them were in positions to hand me golden platters, but you know, why, why would they do that? I think it would be an injustice. I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't. They didn't have to. They seen the passion and the drive in you. Right. I, I, really, I really believe that was the case. Wow. And it was more like chatting with them, talking with them. I would explain to them what I'm working on or what I'm going to do. They would tell me what they're working on. And then with Rue, the time frame with Rue that we were spending a tremendous amount of time together, he would really break down to even like <laughs> telling me how I needed to dress for something specific. Oh. You know, I mean, he, 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 he was, Rue was kind of like my life coach in, in a way. Yeah. He sounds like a pretty detailed guy. Oh, he is big time. Carson Cressley and Jay Alexander, and Miss Jay were like, more like emotional coaches a bit. And then Carson kind of dabbed a little bit about business stuff. And then Rue really deconstructed everything and then put it back together Mm. and threw it back in my court. And then we discussed it. And then I would run off and do what I wanted or what I felt like I needed to do. And we would meet again and discuss I want to emphasize that during the foundation of me becoming who I am, and I'm still growing. I don't think I know everything. I'm not where I want to be yet in my life with everything. You know, I constantly strive and push myself to do more and more and more. 
uh, but the the some of the essential foundation building blocks of where I am today is a result of these three gentlemen. Mm, so they all helped you. Oh yeah, absolutely. they all helped you in, in different ways. Absolutely, that's good. Yeah, the foundation was my my family, my mom and dad. You know that that, that was the foundation, and then. In addition to my parents, I would say my martial art instructor was also a huge foundation of who I am because he instilled the self-discipline to never give up. So let's talk about your new project, the International Digital Fashion Week. Can you please explain IDFW and when will you be presenting your first fashion show? So unfortunately, due to this COVID global pandemic, as we all know, everything was shut down and everyone was under quarantine. I knew that the fashion world was going to change because no designer is going to want to expose all their buyers and press to this virus while it's still raging out there in the world. So I had this idea, I have this concept to do International Digital Fashion Week. And FNL Network is giving this platform for free to designers that, uh, that will be vetted to showcase their work. And what this means is that there's a channel on FNL Network where people can go to and they can watch a digital presentation of that designer's collection. And how that works is this. Any designer, whether they design a product, handbag, shoes, clothing, can email idfw at rlgproductions.com that they're interested in being showcased. Then there's a different team that handles that. And what they do is they ask that designer to send samples of their clothes via like imagery or videos or their past show. Then there's a vetting process. If that designer gets approved, they get an invitation letter to showcase their collection on the channel. And what that means is that they can provide their own digital presentation whether it's a fashion film, whether it's a behind the scenes video of a photo shoot happening, it doesn't have to be a runway show at all. It could be any type of video digital presentation that they would provide to RLG Productions to ingest on the channel. And this was our response to the COVID pandemic. And this was our way of thanking the fashion community on a global scale to uh, still showcase professional designers globally. And the way we are launching it September 5th. So any designers that are interested to be involved with IDFW, they need to send the email as soon as possible so we can start that vetting process. This is something that we'll do every six months. And I'm hoping, and my goal is that this is the answer to what's going to happen Mm -hmm. instead of these fashion weeks. As we all know, Mm -hmm. the Paris Couture, Paris Men's, it was all canceled. London, they did do a fashion event, but it was a live stream digital fashion thing where people were talking from home and showcasing videos. Those are very niche. What other cities are doing, in, instead of doing their normal shows, they are specifically focusing on whether it's Milan or London, where what we are doing is international. It's open to every designer, no matter where they're from. And FNL Network is not charging money. How much time are you giving each designer? Five minutes, but if they want more than five minutes, they need to discuss that with the production company. So it's a two-part process when they 
contact us. The first part is I have to be vetted and there's some technical admin things that need to be done to these videos to get them ingested into the system mm -hmm. to be distributed globally. Okay. Yeah, we can't just put one video in one place and then it works. Oh, now it's distributed streaming globally on all of our platforms. There's a process. pretty lengthy, intensive process that needs to happen to videos in order for it to be prepped and prepared, you know, to be distributed on multiple channels through FNL networks. But I like the, the one piece of this, which was, it doesn't have to be a runway show. So if you're, yeah, if you're a swimwear designer, right. and you want to show models on the beach or swimming or at the pool or whatever, you could actually do it. So it has to fit. Absolutely. It has to fit the technology though, obviously. Right. How many designers will be approved for each IDFW? We don't have a limit. Okay. There's no limit because I mean, literally, I mean, we could have hundreds of designers on the channel. And I want to emphasize also, each designer gets their own segment. They're not going to be edited together. Oh, I see. Yeah. So when you go to the channel, and you go to IDFW, you can be able to scroll through and pick what you want to watch. In addition to that, we are allowing the designer to end the video with some type of call to action on how the viewer can purchase their products. So at the end of the video, they can put their website, they can put their Instagram, they can put something there that the viewer knows how to purchase what they just saw. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that. So this opens up also B2C. Fashion Weeks in New York, London, Milan, and Paris, mm -hmm. it's all B2B. It's business to business. It's designer showcasing their collection mm -hmm. to buyers. Buyers then have to decide what they want to buy to put into the store. They don't buy everything. They buy only what they think will sell. Then the consumer goes to the store and picks what they want to buy based upon what that buyer purchased from that designer. So this helps eliminate the middleman. Oh, this helps eliminate. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Every middleman. This is the best way for them to showcase their brands then. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And this is the, fu this is the future of fashion. 100%. No. This means that consumers in their living room or on the subway or on their train ride into work could be watching the designer's video on their phone or tablet and decide, oh my gosh, I love that pants. I love that shirt. I love that suit. I want to buy it right now. And we're, you know, we're not even focusing on production for anything. We tell the designers, you know, just give us the finished product and we'll vet it and we put it up on the channel. And, and this is our way of thanking the global fashion community. And no one no one else is doing this. No one else, yeah. Well, okay. But Rocco, yeah, let me go back because I hear, I hope I'm right on this, that it seems like the fashion week, you know, agenda, which is controlled by very few people, seems to be under your skin, like a lot of emerging designers. And that is essentially what brought out like the underworld fashion you know, kind of designers, the pop-up fashion type of shows in New York, which are famous. Gauntlet Cheng is one of the designers that is very famous for this, been doing this for five years, basically beating back the, what I call the fashion establishment. 
And this is so disruptive and so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so disruptive because no one's doing it. Yes, we we could do the hula right here if you were here with us because right. it's just it's exciting. And this is something that oh, all those that. emerging designers that are have been going crazy because they can't get into the show. Mm-hmm. They just can't get in. They can't afford the five hundred thousand. That's right. Whoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And of course, exactly. Again, the establishment doesn't care mm-hmm. that you can't afford it. Right. Yeah. It's, for, you know. Yeah, I mean, I could say some things, but I would probably be hurting myself with those people because I know all those people. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Right. They're all your friends. They're all people that we want to meet and talk to. But at the same point, it's like, wow, there's friction here. And let's not, Big you know, time. Big time. Yeah. It's a big industry. There's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And man, right. this is disruptive and it's just beautiful. I love it. But you got to keep up with the times. And this is the future of fashion. Rocco has had the vision. That's right. Gives me goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's, it's so exciting. So you're going to, the first one you said, you said you're going to launch it in September? Yeah, September 5th. And, okay. and strategically, I chose that date because I wanted to do it before these other platforms. Oh. Well, first, no one in New York announced anything yet. Mm-hmm. And so I'm the first person and I'm in America American-based company, and so many people, even from the establishment, reached out to me and said, oh my gosh, Rocco, what you're doing is amazing. We're so happy someone came forward. London, they announced something, the British Fashion Council, and they did something, and there's a lot of mixed reviews about that. Paris, they announced something, but there wasn't so many reviews. And again, I just, there's not even any type of comparison of what IDFW is compared to any of those platforms, because those platforms are specific to those cities catering to those high profile designers that can afford all that money only in that city. IDFW, it's International Digital Fashion Week, mm-hmm. a global platform where designers of all income brackets, as long as they're good, mm-hmm. can showcase their collection and sell it directly to customers on a global scale. There's nothing like this that exists. Right. Well, that's the game changer. If you can, yeah, yeah, the whole thing's a game changer. But Uh the fact that it's going to be connected to an e-commerce site, and actually, I'd like to talk more about that, maybe even off air. But the fact that it'll be connected to an e-commerce site, that's a game changer, too, I think. That's very fashion forward. And you're on the frontier here, Rocco. I'm sure RuPaul's very proud of you Thank you. Yeah. He's seen it. He's seen something in you and he was right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'll text him like little things here and there. That's nice. That's good (laughs) that you keep, you uh, keep in contact with him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every time he's won an Emmy, I'll text Mm -hmm. him like, congratulations. I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. And no, I I keep in, I keep in contact. I, you know, Carson Cressley and Jay Alexander, are both on my board for FNL Network. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm a little bit obsessed about all the technology of this because it just seems like the industry is behind. But no problem. Let's chat. I mean, can you see this moving to the point where I don't even have to hire models to perform in these? Oh God, here we go. And we're just we're we're all avatar. Absolutely. I mean, we're all avatar all the time. You know what? A designer can put their clothes on uh, mannequins and take a camera, a video, a higher videographer, and, you know, do some type of beautiful 360 around the clothes and make it slow motion, fast, 
put music or even have it green screen. I mean, I'm not trying to hurt the modeling industry. I'm just trying to help the designers on how they can showcase their collections and eliminate cost. Just an alternative way. And you got, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michael, that's, <laughs> that's crazy because that you were talking about this around six months ago. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about avatars and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was speaking with a designer friend of mine from New York and she was telling me that there's a program, there's a computer program. I don't even know what the name of it is where you could actually design your clothes. Right. Right. And then in this program, put the clothes on um, like CGI models and then they walk in your clothes and you make a recording of it and bam, oh, there's your see, show. That's perfect. That's what we're talking about. Absolutely. Amazing. So in terms of the IDFW, so is this going to be every six months for how long? Are you going to beta test this for a year or two? Do you think it will expand? You know, are there too many fashion shows already? So it makes more sense just to have it online. I can go and look at it when I want or when I feel like it. I, I don't know about the whole fashion show thing. It just seems like every city has a fashion show now. They're fun. They're exciting to go to. And maybe they're community driven and all that good stuff. But where do you kind of foresee your venture here going? So IDFW will happen every six months. It's the safe and the new way for designers to showcase what they're doing and sell their clothing, either to a buyer that wants to watch it at home or from their office or a consumer that wants to buy the clothes immediately. We have no problem showcasing designers that have clothing ready to buy immediately or showcasing designers that want to have the buyers put orders in and do six months out. So it's every six months. We see this going forever. This is the safest and the best way to get your clothing and or products out there to a global audience. Yeah, that's dynamic. That's just dynamic. Mm-hmm. No. Game no. changer. <laughs> so Rocco, in terms of where you're at, I kind of like to ask this question because you know, you've been in the industry a long time. You've had different positions within the industry. You can see the industry kind of from the inside out, but also from the outside in. And so from the 30,000 foot level, so to speak, What's your perspective in terms of what's going on in the industry or the direction of the industry, the future of the industry? What's, what's really the challenges that the fashion industry faces? I've seen the fashion industry in so many different markets change rapidly in so many different ways. It's constantly evolving. This whole COVID experience and this pandemic that's been horrible for the economy, it's been horrible for people, it's been horrible for us as all humans on this planet, has forced many businesses to change the way we do business. As a result of COVID-19, we've had as an industry to rapidly innovate the way that we will proceed forward and not let the industry die. And that's why I started IDFW, Mm -hmm. because I believe wholeheartedly that's the future. And I think that's why we've had such a positive response. Before COVID-19, my answer would be a little bit different, but I guess that's irrelevant now because that's not our reality. Right, right. The industry is on it. Don't you think? I mean, we've talked about this, Christine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've talked about it so many times. Fashion, I mean, since COVID-19, fashion is on its back. There's no doubt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now we were, were forced to change. Yeah. 
it's scary, man. I, I would not want to be a retailer or a small <laughs> right. person that owns a boutique somewhere or the, even Neiman Marcus, for God's sakes, or J. Right. Crew or I know. the yeah. Domino's. Right. Yeah. J.C. Penney's like all these. They're dropping like flies. You know, the few. Right. And the future of fashion is people watching it from the safety of their home, going on their computer and ordering that garment. That's the future of fashion week. That's the future of fashion. That's what I believe wholeheartedly. I don't believe until we have a vaccine and whenever that happens, things will get back to normal. I, I don't know when and if that will happen. And personally, I think when and if we eventually have a vaccine, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's always side effects. And that's going to be something new. Like, will everyone want to get the vaccine? Will they not? So ultimately, the whole fashion industry, like you said earlier in a statement where it's hundreds of thousands of dollars to show a collection. And then there's these indie platforms that are a fraction of that price. But then there's a whole other roster of designers. They can't afford (laughs) $50,000 to show even at one of those indie places, you know, Mm -hmm. or 10,000, you know, maybe they do their own show for 5,000, but you know, having this IDFW platform, it really levels out the playing field. You know, it, it gives everyone a chance. The pop-up fashion shows in New York, they just boom, pop up. They're mm-hmm. in the middle of Union mm-hmm. Square or somewhere. And then and then it's downloaded to right, Instagram. Right. costs almost nothing. They have their friends wear their clothes. It is just amazingly creative and it looks great. Exactly. Yeah, I'm concerned about COVID-19 in the industry because the industry has this whole history of indifference, you know, and there's it's so segmented and siloed. You can just see a big swath of the industry going down here. But I hope not. But who knows? Yeah, I want to talk about Miss and Mr. Deaf International. So you serve as the vice president, correct? Yes, I was the vice. It's a non-for-profit organization based out of United States. Mm-hmm. And my mom is deaf. As I said before, I'm a CODA, which is child of deaf adult. And she started this in 2008 or 2009. And it serves as a platform to encourage and educate the deaf young community that they can. You know, there's, within the culture of the deaf community, they have a lot of self-esteem issues because they're deaf and the whole world's against them. And they're, you know, there's, there's so many stigmas there. A very sad factoid about deaf women that at a certain age when they're teenagers, more than 50% of them are sexually abused. Because what can they do? There's this barrier of communication. So my mom, which she's deaf, and she wasn't born deaf. The doctors made her deaf. They they used forceps when she was being born and crushed the nerves in her ears. She just always wanted to encourage the young deaf community that they can. You know, like I said before, my mom was the first deaf woman to graduate from UCF in Central Florida. She got a master's degree from NYU. She's, you know, she's been an educator for so long. So she wanted to give back to the community and encourage the community. And this is what she did. And and now I'm very proud of her for what she's done and what she continues doing because they put together like a conference once a year. They invite young deaf from all over the world. They have daily activities and seminars and they have this uh, beauty pageant, you know, and they crown, 
you know, the miss and the mister and they're crying and they're happy. And Oh, what a great idea. Yeah. The, the premise is to encourage mm. and show them that they can. Isn't that amazing? That they can. And it's completely deaf run. Oh, wow. So all the people, yeah, the only two hearing people that are involved, it's my brother and I. Yeah, everyone else is deaf. And yeah, I served as vice president since 2008 or nine. And then now I'm kind of more of a consultant, but still, you know, I know it's out there that I'm the VP, but my brother is really involved as well. Uh, but it's the, from what I remember and what I understand, it's the only deaf run and deaf non for profit. And there is a website for it. I mean, if people Google, it's uh, Miss Mr. DeafInternational.org is their website. And there's even like a donate button there if people want to donate to help at all. But yeah, it's a great organization. And this is the only one you said, the only one in the world? Yeah. Like it? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. great. What an, what an amazing story. So Miss and Mr. Deaf International, do they essentially, they become like the ambassadors for the year for the community or something? Yes, yes. So like, for example, there was a deaf man from Africa that won. And he went around Africa and he went around to like the young deaf or the facilities and he was their model, their role model, you know, like, oh, it's, you know, I could be like this when I grow mm-hmm. up. And, you know, he went to this event and, you know, it, it's all about empowerment, encouragement, and to really help yeah. these people and, you know, show them that they can. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's really a feel good feeling when you can help other people who can't necessarily help themselves. It becomes this passionate goal because it's so gratifying. I was just going to say, you're not only following your passion, you're also doing something that matters and making an impact. And that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Just yesterday, a new episode of City Showcase came out. There's a show that I still host. It's called City Showcase. And it's where we travel in different places. And the last City Showcase that we did which is available now under new releases in a few weeks. So they'll move down to uh, the City Showcase channel. I went to an orphanage. I went to, they called it a drop-in center. And it was only me mm-hmm. and then my guide that brought me there. We're, we were both white, but everyone else was not white. You know, we were in Africa. And uh, it was amazing that these kids mm. were so fascinated mm. and so happy mm. to see me. And I saw them and I literally mm-hmm. started to tear because it was so touching. Wow. Yeah. It was so life-changing to see all these mm-hmm. young children. What's their age range? Yeah, I think they must have been, I don't know, five to nine. Yeah, little kids. So like they were like touching me and trying to talk to me and they were singing to me. And it was just, yeah, it was, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. But I, I thought to myself, at that moment, all these children, mm-hmm. they have nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're happy to have running water, and I mean, but they're happy. They're happy. And it, it just really touched me. And at that moment, I felt like, wow, this is the same type of feeling I get, you know, working mm-hmm. with MMDI. That's the abbreviation of the non-for-profit is to help people. It's just an amazing feeling, you know. And I think if we have an opportunity or we're in any position, 
to help anybody mm-hmm. else, mm-hmm. we should pay it forward, no matter what it is. And that's part of also International Digital Fashion Week, mm-hmm. you know, like paying it forward. Do something that matters. I want to share a little story. I'll, I'll try to make it super fast. But I went into a store and I remembered I was having a conversation with someone and this person was having a bad day and I just smiled to them. I gave them some positivity and I felt like maybe I um, changed them a bit or made them feel a little bit better just for a slight minute. And then I go into this other, I go into a shop, right? So I was having a conversation with a friend and then I go into a shop and I'm at the checkout counter and this woman, she was having a horrible day. And I thought to myself, I don't know this lady at all, but I can tell she's having a crummy day. I'm going to smile big. I'm just going to put forth some effort to show her that I appreciate her as a human being just for helping me bring up my items. So I see her and she's doing her thing and she's having a crummy day. And I look at her and I give her a big smile and I was like, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And I hope, Mm. you know, your day is amazing. And she smiled Mm -hmm. and her face changed. And I thought to myself, wow, that's, that's the purpose. That's part of my purpose. And it felt good. So if anyone's listening, that one second of showing someone kindness could change and alter that other person's life in ways you could never imagine. Yeah, exactly. And this has been reaffirmed to me so many times. Living in the present. Yeah, living in the present and being mindful of what's going on. And we have more power than we think. Right. Honestly, Rocco, it has been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, thank you, thank you for appearing on Fashion Cast. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad I could share all my stories and thanks for listening. (laughs) It's an honor to be on your show. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, tell a friend and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also visit us on our website at fashioncastpodcast.com. I'm Christine. And I'm Michael. Stay beautiful.